again. God, this morning there is nothing that you don't know. There is nothing that escapes your knowledge, your sight, or the reach of your arm. We pray for your help. God, we pray for your mercy. We ask that you would speak, Lord. That your word would go forth and that it would not return void. That you would change hearts and change lives by the power of your holy word. God, we ask for strength. We ask for encouragement. We ask for comfort. Father, help me to be faithful to the task. Though I am unworthy, would you help in the delivery of your message to your church, to all of us together this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do. I encourage you to take it and turn with me for the last time in this season of life to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Remember the General Electric Power Company. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it'll be right there. That's the power of the power company. We're at the very end of Philippians. Today we draw our sermon series to a close. We will read verses 2 through verses 23 again this morning. As you find your place in sacred scripture, whether it's in your own copy of God's Word or whether you're using a tablet or a phone or you want to use the screens, if you don't have a copy of God's Word that you own for yourself, I would encourage you to take the one in the pew that's in front of you and keep it as our gift to you. We have more. We'll replenish. However you are accessing the Word of the Lord this morning, though, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word? We look together now in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. The Word of the Lord says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week we spent a large portion of our time talking about the unity that Paul is calling for within the church. How forgiveness is what delineates us, separates us, marks us as Christians over against the rest of the world. And so this week Paul continues and he is rejoicing greatly that they have revived their concern for him. This is an odd section because Paul is saying, thank you, sort of. Thank you for caring for me, but I I just want you to understand I'm not seeking your gift. I'm not seeking for you guys to support me. I'm not in this for money. And so I appreciate you all being the vessel that God used to supply my need. But even if you didn't supply my need, God would provide in some other way. It's an interesting nuance that Paul injects into the text. It's not just a straightforward Thank you. And I know that you've gotten those thank you notes before that are just overflowing with adjectives and kind words. The the incredible gift that you gave us that was so overwhelming that just touched my heart and moved me to tears. And I just am so appreciative for this $5 that you gave me that I might eat at McDonald's tomorrow. This is just such a wonderful thing that that my family will remember this for all time. We will set apart a Ebenezer stone that this is the moment in which someone gifted us an incredible gift that we will never forget. I know you've gotten those thank you notes. Paul's not trying to do that here. Paul's not trying to over-exaggerate. He's trying to say, thank you. What you have done is very appreciated. But even if you hadn't done it, God would have provided in some other way. So I'd really like for us to zero in on verses 11, 12, and 13 for just a moment. So if you look with me at verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's clarifying, again, I'm not in need. It's not like I was desperate for this gift. It's not as though this gift had not come, I would have starved to death. He's saying, I'm not speaking of the fact that I'm in need because I'm fine. And I've actually learned in whatever situation I find myself to be content. There is a contentment that comes with being in Christ that nothing else in this world can touch. I know that we've talked about this before. It's not a fleeting excitement. It's not a a fleeting emotion of happiness. It is a bedrock in your soul contentment, satisfaction in the Lord. Whether I have something to eat or whether I have nothing, whether I'm in the rain or in the cold or in the heat, whether I have a roof over my head or whether I'm sleeping under the stars, there is a contentment that God is with me and for me and He will supply all of my needs through His riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. If the Lord has me in a place where I don't have a home, that's on purpose. That's for a purpose. God is growing me. He's developing me. And I'm happy that God's working in my life. I'm happy that I don't have a house right now because God's doing something in my life. I see that because when I look up, there's not a roof. There's stars over my head. This sense of contentment is that satisfied sigh. Does anybody in this room have a place 
Maybe a specific thing that brings to you that satisfied sigh. I'm, I'm not talking necessarily you got to, you know, think the Jesus answer right in this very moment. For me, there's just this satisfaction of going home and sitting in my lazy boy chair and propping my feet up and not hearing the craziness of my house and turning on a show, probably the Lord of the Rings, to rewatch for the 50 trillionth time. And just a satisfaction, and you sit there, and once you're relaxed, and you, you get to that place, and you just go, <sighs> hey, does anybody have a, a place or a thing or something like that? Maybe it's a deer stand for you. Maybe you're a hunter, and you go, and once, once you've hiked all the way out there, you rode your four-wheelers, and you, you trekked into where the, the shooting house is, you got everything, the branches are covering, the camo's just right, you got your nose scent on, everything's good, and you look down through the scope of your rifle, and you're just waiting for a deer, and you sit back, and you admire God's creation, and you just go, <sighs> yeah, yeah, this is it. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're a bull rider. Maybe you're a roper. And, and there's nothing like you're, in the, you're, in the, the, you're on the horse and the bull's in the pen and they're about to open the gates and blow the whistle and the bull's about to take off and you're going to go and rope his horns and then the guy's going to get the legs behind it and you are so excited that this is, this is your spot. This is your place. And when you're on that horse, you just take just a, a simple moment to just go, ah, yeah, this is, this, is where I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what's supposed to be going. You know, some people, for my dad, it's when all of our kids, when all of his kids and grandkids are together in church. One of his children decided to be a preacher, so this doesn't happen very often. But whenever he can get all of the kids and grandkids to sit together in church, you watch my dad, and he leans back just a bit, and he does his hands like this. I, I do that myself. I can't, I can't help it. He does like this, and he goes, the world is all right. I'm, I'm in my place. You guys know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you got something like that. Crowd participation. If you don't have something like that, I'm going to pray for you tonight, okay? Because you need a place where you can sit back and say, ah, the world is all right. You understand that what Paul is saying is that regardless of where this is, whether you're fishing on the lake, whether you're in a deer stand, whether you're shopping, whether you are putting on new shoes or new clothes, whether your favorite show's coming on, whether you're sitting down in the movie theater, no matter where it is or what it is, Paul's saying that that sense of satisfaction, that sense of, ah, the world's all right, that comes with an intimate relationship with Christ. You can watch things fall apart in your life in front of you and still sit back and know, God's got me. Christ is in control. And you can sigh this deep, deep sigh of relief and comfort and be content in Christ. I'm not kidding your house could be foreclosed on. And you were being as, as financially responsible as you could possibly be. They could repossess your car or your truck. And you were doing everything you knew to do. You were working three jobs. But they came and they took your car anyway. And you're going to sit back and you're going to know in the depths of your soul. There'll be anxiety. There'll be worry. There'll be some, some, some trepidation for sure. But there'll be this anchor at the depth of your soul that says, <sighs> You know, I, I got a church family. I, I bet they'll step up and take care of me. You know, I, I bet there's a reason God's letting me go without a vehicle right now. There's going to be somebody that gives me a ride that I needed to talk to, that needed to hear the gospel. There's going to be something that happens that God did this or allowed this on purpose and for a purpose. That's how Paul got to the place of being fine with abundance and nothing, with plenty and absolutely scrounging the bottom of the barrel. Because he knew that whether he was shipwrecked, whether he had plenty to eat, whether he was stoned and left for dead, that Christ 
was his contentment and that Christ had a purpose for him. All of this is cased in the understanding of persecution. Being content in Christ is about being content in the midst of persecution. I know how to abound. I know how to be brought low. No matter the persecution that comes against me, Paul says, I am content in Christ. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then we hit verse 13. Folks, I don't mean to get on a soapbox about this verse, but this is the most misinterpreted and misused verse in the Bible, it seems. I have no facts to back that up, just anecdotal stories. How many times have you been with somebody that wants to run faster and they're at the starting line and they say, Philippians 4.13, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times, guys, have you been in the weight room and you've seen those guys and they're laying on the bench and they're arching their back and they're getting ready and they're arching their back they're going to do a new max. They're going to do a new max. They get their hands on the bar. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. How many times have you been in the huddle and you've been down and you've been the underdog and everybody says, don't worry guys, we can do all things through Christ. We can win this game. That's what this is all about. We can do anything through Christ. How many times have you been ready to go in for an interview for a promotion? I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. If I just keep saying it, if I just keep believing it, I'll get the job. I'll win the game. I'll bench press more than I've ever bench pressed before. I'll run faster than I've ever run before. I'll be the best athlete. I'll be the highest businessman. I'll make the most money. I will be Awesome. Prosperity gospel has hijacked this verse and taken it out of the context of Paul's persecution and said, all you need do is claim this verse. It's actually a promise of God. If you'll claim this promise of God, there's anything that you can do. You could paddle all the way down the river and make it all the way to the ocean. You can do anything. You could swim the English Channel without ever training a single day. You could run a marathon and your legs not fall apart. Anything at all, you think it, you dream it, you imagine it, because of Christ who strengthens you, you can do it. That is a lie. It is a lie from the pits of hell. It is not a promise from God. It is better understood as I can endure all of this, all of the stuff, the antecedent for this in the verse is all the stuff having plenty, being brought low to abound any and every circumstance. The secret of facing plenty and hunger is relying on Christ. I can face any persecution through Christ who strengthens me. That's the point of this verse. It doesn't matter how many guns they bring against me. It doesn't matter how many times they threaten to fire me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. It doesn't matter what they do to my family. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life based on the persecution because I believe in Christ. I can endure it because of Christ who gives me strength. Folks, this is a verse that we have to take back. This is a verse for strength. This is a verse that we share with our persecuted brothers and sisters in all regions of the world and say, hold on, because you can do this through Christ who strengthens you. It's not about winning a football game or a basketball game. It's not about sports at all. I think God cares so much less about sports than we ever assume that he does. But but we've been slowly tricked. I've been slowly tricked my whole life into thinking, Oh man, this is the verse. 
This is the verse. When I need strength from on high, when I need the Lord to intervene, all i got to do is quote Philippians 4.13, and I can do anything and everything. I can pick up the mountain and throw it in the sea. It's not the right verse for that. Go find other verses. This is about being persecuted. And folks, I, I don't know that any of us have faced the kind of persecution that would require us to lean in to this verse. And know that the Lord is providing and that the Lord cares and that the Lord is on our side and that the Lord is doing what He's doing or allowing the persecution to happen on purpose and for a purpose. It is for our growth. It is for our sanctification. It is for the salvation of somebody else that needs Jesus. And without that persecution, that may not happen. The church grows like wildfire under persecution. The Chinese government has been tightening the reins on the Christian church in China. And the church has been experiencing explosive growth. And our our brothers and sisters, today actually happens to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And our brothers and sisters in Christ would ask of us. There are personal interviews that I have read from emails from Voices of the Martyrs. They ask, don't pray that the persecution would go away. Pray that we lean on Christ and endure the persecution for the sake of the one who was persecuted on our behalf. Because the church grows. The flame is fueled in persecution. The blood of the martyrs spreads the gospel across every unreached element of this globe. And you and I, absent from persecution, enjoy sitting on our rear ends and doing the bare minimum to be called Christians. That's not me wagging my finger at you just like Jason said. That's me pointing at me. I do the bare minimum. And we have brothers and sisters that lose everything that they have. And they go into the underground church and they hide out for months. Because if not, their life would be taken from them. Others, as soon as they choose to follow Jesus, they're given three opportunities to recant. And if they do not, they lose their life. Folks, we've got to stop reading this passage and thinking That we can just do everything through Christ who strengthens us. There's this American attitude of, if I work hard enough, for long enough, I can do anything or be anything that I want to be. And man, I am all for hard work. I am all for aspiring and reaching for your dreams. But folks, kind of like those Geico commercials. I'm already 31 years old. I'm pretty overweight. Just, I'm not going to be an Olympic runner. All right? It's just, I mean, I could work the rest of my life. It's just not going to happen. There's some things that's just... They're unattainable. We have to realize that we can't just claim a verse and say it's a promise when it's not a promise. We can't just say that I'm going to be successful because I can do anything through Christ. We can't just say I'm going to have the biggest house on the block because I can do anything through Christ. We can't just say our team's never going to lose a game because I can do anything through Christ. Instead, we have to say, God, I don't know what you got in store for me, but I'm going to be content. I'm going to be happy. You bless me abundantly, I'll be the biggest blessing to other people that I could ever be. Folks, that's, that's why we're given much. To those who much is given, much is required. There's got to be a contentment in our soul that we know how to abound like Paul knows how to abound. That we know how to be brought low the way that Paul has been brought low. But you and I, we are so easily distracted by the latest and greatest and newest things. We're so distracted and so shallow and young in our faith that we think God owes us good stuff. 
God didn't owe me waking up this morning. He doesn't owe me the breath that I'm breathing right now. I owe Christ everything. Anything I have is from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so I have to be content with whatever God has given me and whatever God has not given me. And understand that my place in God's kingdom is endurable, enjoyable even, because of Christ who gives me strength. Church, this morning I wonder, are you content in Christ? I've had to ask myself this question all week long. Nathan, are you content? When the new iPhones come out, Nathan, are you still content in Christ? When you don't get to buy a new car and you're still driving the same car around, are you content in Christ? In moments where I think I deserve something and the Lord ought to just give me strength and help me plow through it. Do I just claim this verse and say, oh, I can do all things. Or do I strive for a contentment in my soul that would allow me to endure the abundance and the nothing? The recognition of the world and the scorn of all those around me. Folks, we have to be anchored in Christ, ready to be raised up and brought low for His glory, for His purposes. No matter where we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether water is dripping on the pulpit or not, we got to be content in Christ. Sorry, it just caught me off guard there, just right there on the pulpit. So, folks, are you content in the Lord? Are you able to endure being raised up, being blessed beyond measure so that you can be a blessing? Are you ready to endure having nothing, having everything stripped away from you? I guarantee you, no matter our walk in life, We can endure all of it. We can walk with joy and contentment because of Christ who gives us strength. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, we thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your patience, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you give us an anchor for our souls in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that Because of Christ, we can endure all things. Lord, we love you so very much. God, we ask that you would move in these moments. Touch our hearts, Lord. Cause us, cause us, Father, to humble ourselves and submit to your will. To lean on you for our sustenance and you alone. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand, would you sing, would you respond to the Lord as he moves among us?